to Douglas. Thanks for joining me. You're so welcome. It's uh, I'm excited. I, I was thinking about it. I think this is the first conversation I've done with someone that I didn't know before the podcast, oh, which, cool. which is kind of interesting. It's an interesting milestone. It's kind of breaking into the unknown in a way. So <laughs> good. I'm excited. You too. Um, and so I was trying to remember, did you grow up in a small town like Hood River? Um, well, we moved a lot. I, when I think back, I think of small towns for sure. And um, upstate New York was where I was for junior high and high school. So that feels the most like home. And it was a small suburban town outside of Syracuse. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it was small. Yeah. Cool. And And lately, have you been kind of just playing or have you been working a bit still or... You mean most recently? Yeah, like late, like, yeah, yeah. today. Late, oh, today. Or like, you know, yes. today in age. Yes. Uh, I have been enjoying free time and being outside. Yeah. But you are still working a little bit, right? I am not. Oh, you're fully freedom. I'm fully freedom. <laughs> uh, freedom from that. Right. Right? There's always something else. But, uh, and not to say I'm done, but... Um, my energy right now is sort of on the things that you don't always get to pay attention to in your life because you're busy with work and other things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sort of recuperating, rejuvenating, and thinking and reading and How's playing. that? It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's needed. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice to uh, reframe a bit and think about other things and... Is it, is it what you imagined it would be like? Or did you even you imagine know, it? I don't know if you, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can really imagine. I mean, you nuts and bolts wise you can, but how it's actually going to feel, I don't know if you can. Um, sure, right. Yeah, so of course you know part of it's going to feel great. Yeah. Um, but then there's adjusting that you don't, that is probably happening even at a sub level that you're not even aware of and some days you feel it and some days you don't and it's it's an it's a nice shift i was definitely ready for a little bit of a shift right yeah. yeah and so what are you what are you kind of focusing on in specific in your life right now right now um i have really just been trying to um spend better time with myself and my people and get sort of a little back to balance a bit Mm. Um, my folks live in town and so I help them out a lot and it's nice to do that with less stress everywhere else in your life. Um, yeah, it's kind of been a rest and recuperate and revitalize and all that. Yeah. I remember it feels just as busy. It's just busy in a different way. You're not so time slotted and that's, that in itself gives you a level of kind of calm <laughs> that you don't always have even though you worked for yourself you were time slotting yourself oh heck and yeah now, no yeah <laughs> i was never good at not doing that i don't know that's just i don't know the way i was brought up like yeah i slotted myself and when you own your own thing whether alone or with partners <clears throat> you there's well you're psyched usually you're motivated and you um there's always more you can do and you're stoked to do it. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot and you, 
you're doing it and you're going for it and it's really hard to slow down sometimes and give right. yourself you have the freedom to make the call but you usually just keep grinding <laughs> right because and that's a weird one because you're you're trying to reach something right mm -hmm. but the thing is always moving and always advancing forward exactly and then now you're like you're there right <laughs> like you're now no longer working and it's like okay time to enjoy life and it's i don't yeah. know for me it's all it's it's always hard to just be and just enjoy life right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like i've programmed myself to enjoy work and it's hard to enjoy life when you're not working and you have to re it's like something you have to like work at. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. yeah. Yeah. The weird twist of that. Right. Um, well, yeah, because part, you know, lots of work is it's super enjoyable and lots is not. And so, uh, when it's harder at work, you hope that you're getting the balance outside of it. If it's hard outside of work and at work at that those times, it's when it kind of stinks and you're stressed right. out, right? Right. And then you're working at getting back one of those places to the balance. Sometimes it's more or less in your control. It just kind of depends. Um, so I think everyone, you, you, I guess you just learn to work at that and chip away at, what do I need right now to help this feel more balanced? And Hopefully you learn well how to do that. <laughs> do you, how do you feel like the digital revolution affects that balance in your life? Because I think it's probably different for your generation than mine mm -hmm. because we almost, we barely know something different, but your right. generation definitely knows something different. Yeah. Right. Oh, um, I, for me, I don't consider myself a very, tech savvy person um of course we all use it for general general stuff but um i think um at work of course it opened up all kinds of possibilities but you were learning that on the fly and if you couldn't hire help you were really having to learn it on the fly and you see all the advantages or you see that everyone's doing it so you feel like you should be doing it and um it's a lot it's just more and more layers of work that needs to get done, um, right. hope, which hopefully pays off. You know, and I probably feel like in the more recent past, even like during COVID, some of the silver linings of COVID is it opened up, it, it, it sort of tore the bandaid off so you could try things in a whole new way. And some of those old structures of the way you do things which you probably wouldn't have cracked open as well or as fast, you then could. And it, sh and it showed a more simple way to get the same things done. Um, and the, with the without the technology, you wouldn't have been able to. Mm. So, you, you know, I guess like an example of that would be, um, you know, we have, you go to trade shows, we have sales reps, that sort of thing. Um, suddenly sales appointments could be virtual. They always could have been, but we weren't doing it that way. Or you might have been doing some things using part of that technology, right? right? But then you could go full-blown that way, and then you could improve. 
the initial way you did it, then as two years is ticking on and how much more that changed and how much better it got. And then you're like, oh, wow, why wish we'd always done it this way. And you could keep improving upon that. So that's pretty cool. Right. And were you, how, how involved with the sales side were you at Pistol? Not much, not much. Um, we had a sales force and sales management and, um, you know, I would attend some of the appointments to sort of talk about product and styles and trends or new things for us, for, for our line, um, which I really enjoyed because you kind of glean things there. You kind of see how the other side works a little bit. Um, but that wasn't my role so much. Right. But it's it's because you were the designer, so it's important to know what the customer wants and how the sales kind of pitch for sure yeah yeah and there were just some of the big accounts where you you take better care of them or they demand more attention and we want to give them more attention and so i would attend those um you know those sort of things you know how that works yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah that's interesting how the the digital revolution kind of within your company and and then the covid revolution of yeah really putting it in stone and saying yeah we can have meetings totally virtually right and i you know i think everybody did that to some degree probably a lot more than us in some cases because we're small but um... right and then on the on the design technology side like what how are you designing products when you started out Um, What tools were available? Um, Well, there were probably more tools than what we used. Um, We, you don't have to technically, like with a CAD program or something like that, you don't technically have to create an entire pattern from scratch and move forward like you would, uh, even if you were home knitting, something like that. Right. Um, you you are creating specs and so much of it already exists and you're working with people that you've worked with for a while or manufacturers and um there's a lot of shortcuts right yeah we want that same material yeah yeah um and you know so as as we move forward you know you you learn illustrator and different tools to help you get those things done faster um you know, in Photoshop and things like that. Yeah. But but you're still making a similar drawing, just mm-hmm. like were you doing it by hand when you first started? Well, when making... I first started, um, one of my partners who's responsible for sort of brand and marketing and um, also uh, graphic arts, he knew that, and poor him had to hold my hand through learning the basics of some of that stuff so that I could do it and not bug him to, to help me do something. Um, so yeah, with those just those simple tools, right? And like, who who standardizes like a material or like a weave? Is that just the private company, or is there any sort of like what you do know, you mean? Like, I'm imagining there's like you know, if you want a, a certain fabric, mm-hmm. a very specific fabric, right? Mm-hmm. You're obviously you know you know exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. Is that like who is who's making this the standardization of the specification 
for that? Is that just the company saying, this is what, this is the part number that we call it. And these are the specs. And then you're like, oh yeah, okay, this is what I want. But each company has a different like spec for how they, how they define the actual weave and the, the material. Um, we would. And maybe we, I'm we, just thinking about this yeah, all wrong. No, so it's okay. And anyway. No, and then I'm thinking about your former question too about how different it was when we started to when oh, you know okay. yeah because oh, yeah. the kind of related um, you know to go back to that originally sometimes I would just draw things because I'd get an idea and I had to get it out somehow and then with um, my partner's help we'd figure out a way to then put it in a format that worked for a spec and by you know almost 20 years later we could we I wouldn't do that anymore and we would use the different programs that were available and um you had the shortcuts so to speak because you've been working with certain teams for so long it, you could get things done much more quickly and pr sometimes provide so little but it just had to be documented right, right. like a, you needed a system of documentation um and then in terms of the materials and sort of how that those pieces work, um, uh, different makers specialize in different things, and they will provide you um, often with, here's what we like to work with, here's what we're specialists at, um, here's um, shapes, content of materials or whatever that we mostly use, and then I work with what they use. I can also then request anything from any of them, such something that I've seen or I really want to make, right. or um, like a new a new material. Like uh, you know, there's a lot of bamboo now woven in with wool, or for certain properties that it has for uh, moving moisture or whatever it is. Um, you you know you can ask any the right manufacturer, but you could, you just simply ask for those things, or you seek it out and you do your homework and you dig to find it, and they and they they kind of work with you like a partner. They want to provide what you're looking for. Right. Um, and were a lot of those were any of those suppliers stateside, or were most of them international? Uh, we had a teeny bit U.S. and a teeny bit Canada. Um, um it's there's just not that many um knitting mills in the US anymore. There there are right. small ones but not necessarily that can do a volume. Um and then it's depends also where they get their materials from. So when you're at a certain volume, um you know, China is the main place with all the knitting machinery and mm -hmm. then all the supplies. Um and they've been doing it for decades and decades and decades so you work work well with them and they have the infrastructure set up to move the stuff once it's completed right um, but we also had um worked with italy um because they have a lot of family-run mills there and um beautiful materials so that kind of was a portion of our line that we really wanted and we still have that kind of adds an elevated level product um so you can offer a variety um and we all you know we worked a bit with south america because there's a lot of wool and um knitting and weaving there right and it just would come and go depending um it's a little harder quality control because a lot of it's handmade mm -hmm. and uh you know just there's issues with all of them, <laughs> all of them that that's just part of work yeah right and were you very 
particular about where the material was grown and actually the farm source that like China or whoever was using? Right. Get you, we, I would say we got more and more so because that was becoming more and more on everyone's mind and attention of sourcing. At the beginning, sourcing was just wherever they got it from and that's what we used and and then over time you learn more specifics of what is the actual content and where is it coming from and is it following the correct laws for human labor for animal resources for the environment all those things and um it became more and more dominant and always important but you you just rolled with it as you could <laughs> yeah. right yeah and it's top of mind now for consumers and manufacturers, so which is great. So mostly fair trade considerations, but were there also like technical drivers of, oh, we need this source because they have better, this cotton is better from this specific region? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what were some of the um, like... You know, when you're talking about a natural fiber like the wool, like wool or merino, usually comes from New Zealand, um, some other places. And then so your manufacturers are elsewhere. So then you'd they would be receiving that from somewhere else. So so then you're working, you know, with certain fibers, they're just um, a recyclable poly or something that's not really an issue for those type of fibers. So um, we had a lot of uh, like cotton scarves and any cotton items. We would get a lot of those from India because they had, that's what they worked with and that's what they could grow in their own country. Right. And um, then they uh, have a lot of ink and dyeing processes there. And as a whole, they had to clean up that act. The dyeing process can be, pretty bad for the environment and you know we're we're a drop in the bucket and we were asking for it big manufacturers asked for it and it changes almost the whole country it's like it's like when walmart decides to sell organic milk suddenly organic milk is the number one milk being sold in the country or something you know it's it's balanced out that way so um yeah in general it was just sort of what you were always doing as part of your job as part of my job is always trying to improve the process, find the better materials, work with the best manufacturers who already were doing that because they probably had to meet the standards of someone much bigger than us. Sure. Yeah. And you kind of saw like what, it sounds like there was a transition while you were working from not caring very much at all about free trade to the industry caring all that's that's almost all they cared about kind of yeah i mean we i I, as the maker of those things always cared you couldn't always get what you wanted right especially as a small and so that yeah and so that you know i would say from the get-go it was always it was always progressing the industry was progressing the demands were progressing and we were progressing with that right um yeah, and, thankfully. And was that pretty, a, was it like, does it feel like that was a big change from when you started? Mm. 
like did it get a lot harder or were you just kind of riding the flow of whatever the industry wanted and it's almost just the it felt more um it felt more dominant in the past i would say five to ten years that it really was accelerating where demands were being made and the industry had to change right um for sure um from the beginning some little things were always happening and you're always looking and seeking and um you know you you can have a customer like an rei who's uh big and influential and at in certain things ahead of the curve and so when they say this is our new position this is the new goal that we're going for and then within two years we want to have xyz um, it influences a lot of things and if you're working with them you we you benefit from that and you learn from that and you gain the resources that they that they are looking for right yeah yeah i mean thankfully you know like i do feel like um slightly different um like when for sun protection and upf and things like that our i would say when we started we didn't start out making summer hats but once we were a few years in um you know people know about upf protection sun protection but i felt like there was a pretty sudden change maybe i don't know five or ten years in of that where suddenly that was a hot button everything had to have it and suddenly i felt like the united states was suddenly aware of how bad the sun could be for you where other countries had been been that way for a long time mm. that one felt more impactful to me of like whoa it has to have it everyone wants it um and people were even just i feel like wearing more big sun protective hats um where people didn't used to do that. It felt like that felt a bit, a bit of a switch for me. Maybe. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was more noticeable to me. But we were, the U.S. was potentially behind other countries? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Do you remember which countries were kind well, of? Well, there's certain, I mean, like Australia, New Zealand, those, they've always been way ahead there because of their climate and the hole in the ozone and all, all of that. Um, and we didn't sell a lot to Europe, so I can't necessarily speak to that. But I just, yeah, I just remember that feeling more impactful even than some of the other things. Mm. Did you guys sell a decent amount to Australia and New Zealand? Is that why not. you were more no, versed just, in it? No, it just, you just know you just about know. it yeah. because you're, you're paying attention to it all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that sounds hard to know what the customer wants because you're somewhat subject to what the big manufacturers are asking for. But then you're trying to find figure out what your demographic really wants. Mm -hmm. How how would you guys go about figuring out what product to make or what what improvements to make? This is part of the game. Um, <laughs> we I just, always felt, we just did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just did it. Well, I mean, you you like I think about it sometimes as two sides of the coin. You can feel very restricted by. Uh, make making sure oh my gosh are we meeting the demand are we putting out there what people want whether it be a style or the color and you can get really tensed up about that the flip side being letting that go freeing yourself to put out there what feels appropriate for your brand and for the customers that could that you know that we live in that industry right and 
you know, I, I think you kind of need both to be successful with creation because one, you, the, with the, with the boundaries, you really have to hone in and think of, you know, it demands you to really get specific and figure it out. The freeing one, on the other hand, opens it wide open so you can really go crazy and let your mind right. flow. And then you use those guide rails to drive it back in. So I remember many times being super stressed out about what if we miss the mark? What if, I don't, you know, purple plaid's the in thing next year and... I missed the mark, wasn't aware of it. Right. And, you know, freak out by myself in my bedroom, like, oh, what about if we don't do it? But um, I would always come back around to if that's the thing that's on everything, outerwear, whatever, you're probably not going to wear it on your head, too. So I would try and let myself relax enough on, the, like, not be too tight to the rules. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, if it was something, if I was getting so maxed out in the stress direction of missing the mark, I would settle with that for a little while and then try and shift the other way to we know what we like, we know what colors people are comfortable wearing around their face and like their eyes. It's a very personal thing. Um, and you could then relax that and designed to that designed to that direction right yeah and then, and then try not to get hung up on that stuff too much sure and then as far as like the not only the patterns and stuff but or like the style of things how did like what was what was the scope of the products you guys made and and how you decided whether to expand into a new mm -hmm a new um you know sector of, of mm -hmm. outerwear or, or whatever uh, you know we would count on um our own research but more so from our sales force from our reps because um, they're out there in the field and they're talking to the store owners and they're talking to customers and they've been you know that that's what they specialize in and um they would, they would, I would survey them and get, try and get as much sales information from our numbers. And, um, and then you're also just looking at other trends and future things of, um, what's, what's coming. So was but, that like a routine? But the numbers direct a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And was that a routine thing you would do every cycle mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. the beginning of a new cycle? Yep, sure try to. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you if you're behaving yourself, yeah. you, you're doing yeah. it kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And some, you know, there were times where we just as a um our team would just decide there's this is something that we want to do. This is something that we like. We feel like this is something that works with our brand and um so we're going to try it. Right. Um, you know, we, we started out in beanies and hats just for winter. We, we knew we wanted to expand to have product year round. Your reps are fighting hard to get your product in a store. You want to be there four seasons and not just two. Um, you want to maintain that space. And, um, so we, you know, immediately knew we were going to branch into spring, summer, not just fall, winter. And then, you know, we make a soft woolly often accessory well what what else goes along with that 
you know, you, whether it, it could be socks, it could be belts, it could be, um, we, you know, we even tried t-shirts for a while. Um, you know, there were things that we liked. You gotta, you gotta be stoked about it, you know? Right. And, um, you know, we love flip-flops. We're like, maybe we'll do flip-flops, you know? You mean, you could, that's the beauty of it. We could do whatever we wanted and we could try it to whatever degree that we wanted. Um, sometimes you just throw one out there and see how it goes because it's something that we're into. Right. Yeah. And what, what was the initial concept that launched the company when you guys were just starting? Like product, 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 concept, product yeah. was beanies. And mm -hmm. how how did you first off? Was it just you and one co one partner? Almost from the very beginning, there were three of us. Okay. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. how did you guys come up with the idea that there was a need for beanies? We well, we had been in the industry with another hat maker, and we wanted to do more. Keep expanding and we ended up doing that on our own um and we love beanies <laughs> so you had been you had been working with another company the three of you um two of us and the third sort of as a contractor mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. yeah and you what was what was what products was that company making hats so we were in the hat we we had hat experience and we were in the outdoor industry okay. and we weren't able to go where we wanted to go there so we did it on our own and where did you want to go that you weren't able to go um more to a more current and more creative and more um of a clean modern brand kind of moving with what we saw happening in the marketplace. So mostly stylistic, just... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there also technical differences in the materials and, and um, the, we the want, functionality? There was more we wanted to do. There was more, yeah. We, we did do some um, really nice technical hats when we started also, um, which we hadn't done before, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What is a technical hat? Well, like a soft shell um, or a breathable, um, sort of like technical outerwear. Um, companies like a Black Diamond or something like that that make a very specific, um, could be a windproof, waterproof, breathable um Right. The tech, the tech fabrics that have those specific properties for high output sport or, you know, super cold, but high output sport, that sort of thing. Um, but in my eyes, there were a few out there. They were made by very manly, very technical companies, and they were all black mm. <laughs> at the time. It's not you don't really, like black? It's, not, it's not that way anymore, but at the time... <laughs> that's sort of what it was and i'm like well that's not good enough because <clears throat> that doesn't fit me right i want some color choices and i want it to have some style and i want it to have all those functional properties and that wasn't there mm. and when were you personally using or looking to use this technical style of beanie for sure yeah and what kind of stuff were you using it for? well we would like i would use those for yeah i mean you could wear it like a ski hat or which 
which then everyone was switching to helmets. So, <laughs> <laughs> right? But then we're like, well, you know what? When everyone takes their helmet off, they immediately put a hat on. Because right. their hair's all whacked out or you're all sweaty or whatever. Right. Or you're cold. And so... Um, so that the helmet thing didn't worry us for very long. Right. And um, the technical hats, like I would wear like ski touring or I'm sure some people would wear it. I don't know, ice climbing, rock climbing um, or um, maybe they're sometimes those materials are thinner. They're not a knit. Right. So if you're not a beanie person or a knit person, or you don't want something that thick, but you need something warm or that, you know, or like uh, that you, you could wear at when it's sort of snowing but sort of raining and you want it to bead off of that fabric um those sort of purposes right yeah. so yeah. you you three were all doing activities mm -hmm. where you wanted this technical hat yeah and you wanted it to not just be black have a little more <laughs> a little yeah. more style you know it was it was a like it was time for that to grow more yeah yeah and did you try and get the company you were working for to go that direction? Uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a less than ideal situation to to make that happen in. Mm. Um, so you know, I guess ideally it, we could have had a, the pistol line within that, but it just wasn't really going to go that direction. Right. Mm -hmm. You kind of, you it knew was, the players, you knew the dynamics. It was time and, to, yeah, do our own thing. Mm -hmm. And what did that look like when you made that transition to your own thing? Was that... Which part? <laughs> I'm quitting my job tomorrow. <laughs> was it, I'm going to start working on some designs in my off time. How yeah, did, what did was, the bridge look that like was from... fairly accurate, what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> quitting your yeah. job and... <laughs> yeah. I was ready to move on and i did knowing knowing that others were coming along it was we planned it you know right and um how long did it take until everyone said yes let's do it well there was only a couple of us <laughs> it sounds like there's three right well we so myself and um the other person working there he was more involved there and he needed to wrap things up appropriately. And so I left and I was working on things on my own, knowing he was part of it and coming along as much as he could, as soon as he could. And then we also had worked with a third person and, um, we had asked him to help us and he wanted to join. And so we welcomed that. Um, so you led the way you were the first one. To... Well, myself and my other partner, I would say, yeah. But as far as it's, not, but you, it's you made it seem like you quit your job first. You were I full did time on I, pistol because I could. Sure, sure. Yeah, someone had there to. There was some. Yeah. Make sure the house didn't burn down. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you kind of led the way. It was kind of a tiered. Yeah, sort of. Highly organized <laughs> transition. It was not a highly organized transition. I don't think, yeah, n nothing when you're starting is highly organized. You're you're juggling all the, the everything um, and organizing it as best as you can. But And um, what was going through your mind in that time? Um, when I think about that time, after, you know, just getting through some of the yucky parts, um, 
I was just so excited. I was super stoked. I always wanted to do my own thing. I don't know why. And, um, you know, when I look back at it or when I talk to other people about what they're doing, my favorite part is always the beginning crazy creative part where you where you literally get to figure out everything and how you want it to be. And if you do it and you don't like it, you just change it. And it's it's just super um, it's way more exciting to me than it is stressful. It's it's a crazy mental time, mm. which is fun. And were, the, st were fun. the stakes big for you um, in terms of needing to succeed? It felt that way. Um, it felt that way. I felt like um, I I don't know why. I just never doubted that we were going to do it and that it was going to work. I felt that wholeheartedly and I don't even know where that comes from. And, um, it, you know, I guess stakes were high in the fact that you had, you know, you'd made the choice. You, I was out there. That's all I had going. I wasn't doing something else at that. You know, I left to do that. And I borrowed money from everyone in my family. And that's all I did because I was going to make it happen. And I'm sh I, would, I would imagine my partners would say the same thing. Maybe they weren't as excited about, I don't know, that's a really exciting time for me. But um, yeah, you're, you're going for it. And once you make that decision, it does feel like high stakes in the best way, I guess I would say. It didn't feel too scary you're just going for it and, and that kind of like for me I mean I've, I've been thinking about it it's sort of what um, it's a really positive driving force there's something you don't know how to do or you, a part that you know obviously there's a million parts of it you don't know about you've never done it before you have an idea you've worked in this similarity similar field but, um, like you just, to me, it made me just not afraid to ask anyone, anything to seek help or advice or knowledge or time from anybody. Cause you are so going to make it happen. Right. So you, you know, you know, I had a couple times in the spare room, in my house where I was like in tears cause I couldn't figure something out. And that just motivates you to go, well, screw it. I'm just going to pick up the phone and call that guy. And just tell them, I don't know what, I don't know how to do, I don't know what this is. What do I have to do to make this work? Yeah. Because you're, and you're just willing to do it. Right. Yeah. And which is really kind of fun and cool. What's, yeah, there's something that happens in that moment, right? Where you all of a sudden don't care. Exactly. What you look like or. Yeah. Or something, right? Yeah. It, no, it's, it's exactly a, it. But and it's a really powerful it mode is, and that, it's, to it, operate in. It is, and it's also I um it's also just really honest, right? You're just you're just a person trying to do this thing. And it kind of gets down to nuts and bolts and what have I got to lose? I'm just gonna ask a question. And you know, you can kind of look at it that way. Right. And yeah, I like that part. It was cool. It was a cool time. It was hard, for sure, and tiring.
But when I think back about the whole process, that's to me the most fun. And did you, did you have the work-life balance at all or no. were you just fully work? <laughs> we worked a lot. Yeah. No, not a lot of balance, but at certain times you don't care because, because you're going, you're doing it. It's what right. you're, it's you're, what on you do. you're on board and it's right. what you want to do. And you can only sustain that for so long. And then, and then, you know, then it's just your next step of like, okay, all right, I got to balance this out a little bit more and you readjust. And that's just part of the process. Right. For sure. And as time went on, did it kind of get less and less, did you get less and less loaded with work? Uh, kind of up and down. Cause you know, everything else is changing at the same time. Right. So, um, it always felt like a lot to me. We, I think we all got into a better routine over time of balance. And then beyond that, I would only speak for myself. And I think, um, it kind of ebbs and flows depending on what's happening. Cause you know, you could have the market crash or <laughs> COVID hit or a, a big industry change or something where, okay, we got to double down we, again, or we've, this is going to be a tough year. And so you, you lose some of that balance again. Right. Yeah. What, what year did you guys found the company? 2003. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, how would you describe that? year in terms of the market and kind of just the mm. kind of the, the remember the vibe and because i'm imagining kind of the tail end of the dot com maybe the dot com burst already kind of happened mm -hmm. at this point mm -hmm. uh september 11th had already happened mm -hmm. and then 2008 is five years down the road yeah um and and maybe I yeah I don't know maybe it's not that um, standout or recognizable of a. I mean I guess what market. I remember sort of along those lines is, we wanted to get going as soon as possible because we felt like the the industry was changing a lot of um, investment money and was coming in and buying up brands and people were getting <coughs> under different ownership umbrellas and. Um, the industry was growing up a bit. And so when we started in March of 2003, we wanted to be at our, the main winter trade show is in January, was in January. And we didn't want to wait until the next January, we wanted to turn it around in eight months. Right. And we did. And it was hard, we, but we were, no way did we want to wait like a year and a half or so or more because it just felt like mm, things are changing too fast. We got to get on the wave now. And, and was it hard to release that product at the, because I am imagining it had, <laughs> it wasn't perfect or it wasn't the most. Oh, another, right. It wasn't the like, most we, perfected. Right. But it, you know what? It never is. Out. It never is. You just ever, you, you, you're operating on a calendar all the time. So you you do as much as you can to the highest extent that you can within your time limit. And then you decide what goes and what doesn't, what am I going to hold back? Cause I, I want it to even be more perfect Right. <laughs> and what is ready to rock. And, um, is there any secret sauce there? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, 
No, it's just that that's why you jam all along the way to meet, to get it as far, far, far along as you can, every single style, to so that you have the best choices when it's time to cut and define. And, and yeah. how often were you throwing away? I mean, it makes away... it sound so technical, because sometimes we go, it's just a hat, you know? <laughs> like, you have to release yourself from that and go, right. it's fine, it's a hat. It's, right. Yeah. And how but, often you know, were you throwing away ideas like, oh, I'm going to try this new material or this new thing or whatever? Like, Not too often. You, you might save it to, to work on it more and have it come out the next year. Mm. But um, very rarely would you really try something that just didn't work. And probably because it's, it's not such a technical involved product right. right like you said it's just yeah. a hat yeah. at the end of the day and you know i know how much it takes to put in to get that hat done but it also isn't like a piece of machinery you know right, right. so it's not like the hat yeah yeah um yeah the it's not really or you're just a genius and none of your ideas yeah. were bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not that. We'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and what did uh what did kind of that initial growth look like? Those first few years did you guys explode immediately or was it um, slow? Not immediately, but we did have great growth um large growth those first maybe not the first year. It was a slow-ish start. Um but a good foundation, I would say. And then yeah, we had really nice growth for, I don't know, you know, the next six years or so, you're just, you're just, you're just growing. You're just trying to keep up, which is great and crazy. Nowadays, they kind of, they have this term, and maybe you're familiar with it. I don't know how new it is, really. Product market fit. And it, they kind of describe it as that point where product is just being pulled out of the company and you're just trying to keep up. You don't even really have to try and sell it. It's just like, we can't make this stuff you fast enough. Almost. You just keep making it. You just keep rolling it. it. Is, yeah. that, is that kind of like that, um, like five years in, you kind of hit that point where it's just like, we just, we just do it now. We don't have to convince anyone. I guess so. I guess to a certain point, to a little bit. Yeah. I never thought about it quite that way, but um, yeah, you just, you know what you, you sort of get into your tunnel of the production calendar and produce, 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 and on a timeline and then roll into the next season. You always have about three seasons going at the same time. And so part of it does feel like that. You just keep, just keep making stuff, keep it coming, show it on to the next one. And if, so did, did your sales kind of have like a initial growth and then just kind of reach a kind of a, you had a, a bit of a plateau there, or did of. they, did it kind of do that a few times or? Um, I mean that the initial big growth, you definitely, that definitely plateaus at a certain point and then has just incremental growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the, what do they say? It's like, at seven years, you know, the, the average company starts to plateau off a bit. And, um, you know, you had, we had, you know, you have hiccups along the way and it could like the market crash was 
huge, you know, impact on every industry. Right, but, I guess yeah. that would have been five years in for you, you guys. Know, and then, um, you know, there's, wow. yeah, there's things along the way, but pretty good sustained and then slow plateau growth, yeah. And, and where were you having success in those, when you first started having success, mm-hmm. where, like, where was that happening? What, what? demographic or or geographic i would say um it was more of an awareness in our industry of staying power and just people becoming aware of you and committing to you and seeing that you were you were still there and um they they were ready to commit and then grow with you um you know they kind of like people always love to see what's new. And so you're the new guy, something which is, you know, customers walk in, they want to know what's new. They ask that of us and people ask that when they go into a store and, um, they see that you're still, you're back there again the next year and you're back there again the next year. And then they'll finally order. And then you become, you know, if we have great sell through and then it, it just becomes everybody comes more and more committed to each other, um, and you know we had REI from the beginning. We had some big hitters from the beginning, and that just helps your brand recognition. And yeah, how 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 did uh, how did you guys end up getting REI? How did you get REI on your on your customer list? I'm going to remember we, we went up there to show them the line our first season and probably had some connections to get in there that first round. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure they ordered, I don't remember, but they were a partner of ours for the whole time though. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And like you said, and then it, some point you've been around long enough and then people almost start to feel like they so they identify with your brand mm-hmm. and then they almost just care they're they're less uh inquisitive right they're it's not as much like oh what is this brand what do they make it's just oh i know pistol i like them mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and they want to know i mean the stores have their own restrictions and uh whether it be the amount of their buy per season for a category like accessories or um, some stores just don't have the space to, they have their core brands that they have to have. That's where they make their money. And then they might not have very much space or a budget to sprinkle the store with other things. And so they need to know that when they bring it in, it's going to work. Right. And so some of them will, will, Okay, that's on my radar. I'm gonna. I'll think about that for next season. You know that sort of thing. And then, um, then there's other places, maybe smaller boutique places that they build their store around all these newer, smaller brands. And um, you know, it's kind of so it depends on the account, really. And then committing to it. Some will wait to commit to it. Do they know it's going to be successful for them, and they see that you're succeeding on your own? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It sounds difficult. <laughs> I, I yeah, I I guess so. I mean part of it I don't know, part of it wasn't 
it's something that we all think about, but it wasn't part of my day-to-day -day job, too, of, like, this more salesy side of it and the account side of it. Um, but yet the vet, the information from them regarding design was invaluable. So, And how did you end up with the responsibilities that you had within the company instead of being on the sales side or something else? Um, I was the product person from the beginning. I'm, I've always said I'm not a designer. I wasn't trained in that. When I work with designers who are really skilled and have gone to school for that and everything, I'm always just blown away. But um, when we started, that, that was my, that's my interest area. I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much we can do. And that there's, there's no hats like this. There's nothing like that. I don't want any of those 2000 hats I saw in that manufacturer's booth over there. They don't have anything, you know, just like, that was my thing, the product. I mean, I've always loved yarn and textiles and um, knitting and all that sort of thing. But um, that was just the, that's the natural role that I grabbed onto. Right. Um, and you liked it and you guys needed you needed someone to do it. Yeah. So it just kind of flowed. It wasn't mm -hmm. like you had to say, no, I don't want to do any sales. Don't ask. No, <laughs> no. And you know, at the beginning you're, yeah. I mean, there, there were times you were, everybody was doing everything, but right. for the most part, I was always product. And then we had other people doing sales or operations or brand marketing and stuff like that. And how did, how did you guys, what did your like internal community or company communication look like did you have weekly meetings did you have no <laughs> oh, we meetings tried at all that sometimes we tried it all it would change a lot yeah um and at the beginning you're so small that it's not necessarily a plan you're just you're all in the same room right yelling across the table so and did you guys communicate pretty well was it were people on the same page or was it hard uh, oh, to for the most get part, your point across? For the most part, when we started out, yeah, everyone is, you know, you're all on the same path. You're just trying to make it happen. You know, the, those early <clears throat> days for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the hardest things to get everyone to agree on? I think the, the, the processes when your company is more mature, that's when it's harder. Well, that's when I found it was harder. Um, there's a lot more going on. There's a lot more layers. Um, yeah, I, I don't even. Sounds like communication wasn't that difficult for you guys. And that's. I would say it was really difficult a lot of the time. But you, but you do it. You got to do it. Um, and but early on, it was easier because the task ahead of you was so easy to define. You were just starting. You wanted to grow this thing. Everybody had their role to do. And whenever somebody needed help, you helped them because it was just a few of us. And as you're, as you know, years go by, it gets more involved. There's more people. Um, you're you're just faced with different decisions and bigger problems and therefore yeah there your communication is more challenged and 
your decisions are tougher and I think that's sort of the natural flow of a growing business. Like it's so different at 15 years than it is at two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys ever have some, did, did people ever start taking on more of like a CEO role or any, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when, when did you have someone that um, started I mean, doing that? Well, our same three partners, their, their, our roles just grew. And so we had one partner who always was sort of in that role, gotcha. how, how that role was defined through the years definitely changed as the responsibilities changed and all the decisions right. changed. Yeah. So it kind of, kind of just grew out of those same original places where we started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you did have some sort of managerial. For sure. Mm-hmm. Not structure, but boundaries at mm-hmm. least. Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, some definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm. I'm trying to decide which way to, to take <laughs> the conversation now. Um, so I, one thing I was curious that I didn't get to ask earlier was, I remember you saying when we talked previously mm-hmm. that your dad was very, uh, he thought this was <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> you coming out here and doing this, right? Right. How does he feel about it today? Is he, is he proud of you? Is he, he does is. he see your side and he why does. you did it? Yeah. He's, he, yeah. In every way. Yeah. Which is great. That's pretty cool. And yeah. It took a while, but. But he's a business person, so he was in sales his whole life. So he loves learning about businesses and seeing what people are doing. He's, um, you know, it took took him a while when he he would come out and visit, and this was pre pistol. He thought I was nuts that I was came out here and what the heck was I doing? And but you know on a with the more personal thing, you know, he was like, well, you always land on your feet and blah, blah, blah. And he didn't quite get it, but you know, so it was kind of him beginning to get it and then kind of looking around going, Oh, this is kind of a nice place. And you know, Oh, you, you know, you're making it happen, blah, blah, blah. You know? And then with, with pistol, he, um, was fully supportive and I, I mean, I borrowed money. I was embarrassed to borrow money from my parents at that stage of my life, you know, but, um, I remember it so clearly. He, he didn't hesitate, couldn't have been more supportive and wasn't, you know, it was a very, it was a big vote of confidence. I didn't really, it's not that I expected something very different from him, but it was still a huge vote of confidence and he's super proud. And he's proud of everyone there, and he's fascinated by it all. He's fa- and he's fascinated, really, like we talked about a little bit of the people in this community. He 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 knows a lot of my friends, and he's they've traveled here not just to see me, but traveled around the area. And he's just fascinated of the different types of people that are here and what they're doing and what they're involved in. He talks about it all the time, you know. Huh. Because there's, you know, I think the area draws people because of its beauty, because of its 
there's so much going on here, especially years, years ago when there wasn't a lot of work stuff going on here. Um, so it, it draws people who are creative or, um, like motivated. They're going to make it happen because they want to be here. Right. You know, I think that's why there's so, there's a very strong entrepreneurial spirit here. There's a lot of startup companies. And when I think about it now, I mean, that was 30 years ago and look at the gorge now, you know? Um, so the, it's, it's a great community for supporting and it's people trying to do their thing. Right. Yeah. And what did your dad do? He was in sales forever forever what kind of sales like industrial cleaning equipment oh interesting doesn't matter um yeah so he you know was always a territory manager a sales manager a vp of sales and they, that's why we moved a lot he moved a lot he was very devoted to the company and um and you you were in I guess with your parents, you moved a lot. But then before you came out here, you were in Boston, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you said that you were having a blast in Boston. It was super fun. <laughs> and what, what time, what year? It was like after college. So it was fun because Boston is a huge college town. So it's full of young people and great music scene. And So are we talking like early 90s? Uh, late 80s. Late 80s. I'm getting old. Late 80s. I came out here I'm, in I'm just I came out here in 91. From a, yeah. From a music perspective. Kind of oh, that's how I imagine yeah. history. At least like, you I know, like that. 60 through yeah. 2000. Yeah. Um what like what kind of stuff were you doing in Boston back then? Oh, you know, what did we do? I don't know. There was a lot of just going out and going to bands and going out to dinner. What, what and is going, going out delayed... and going to a band look well, like in 85? Is it, that... it, not that different. It'd be like if you lived in Portland now and you, you know, Thursday nights, you'd meet everybody because there was going to be some great live band at some bar or restaurant or club or something. And um, yeah, I mean, Boston had all kinds of fun stuff like that going on all the time. But, but over time... It just felt a little like, what else is there to do? It wasn't a lot of outdoor action. It was, you know, like until the weekend, like if you wanted to ride a bike or, you know, in the winter, you'd drive north to go skiing and in traffic and then you'd drive back and you'd go to work. And then on Friday, you'd sit in traffic again to go. And in the summer, you'd do it to go to the beach. You'd sit in traffic going the other way. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. And were people like partying pretty hard and drinking a lot and yeah, or were they I pretty mean, sophisticated and just like sipping their wine? No. Or... Well, I mean, we were, it was, you know, after college, you were, we were all like from 22 to 27, I was there. So there was partying. For, yeah. Right. Not a lot of sophisticated wine sipping. No. Right. So yeah. it kind of got old after a while. Yeah. It got, I mean, it was, it's a, it's a super fun town. It's not a big city, but it was really fun. And. Um, but it just was like, I felt like I was playing grown up. I don't know. Just like, I liked my work. I was in marketing and sort of PR and marketing and that was good. And I wanted some of that experience under my belt, but what I really wanted was to go West. And I just felt like I couldn't, I wasn't ready to do that when I first got out of school. And I, 
I wanted to have a little more experience under my belt before I just took off. And I didn't really know if I ultimately would take off, but then I did. And, um, yeah, I felt like I was too young to be, I just felt like I hadn't done enough yet to be like working nine to five and taking the train into work. And, and then, you know, everyone was like, then they wanted to get married and move to the suburbs and decorate their house. I was like, Oh my God, no, I got to get out of here. <laughs> right. But, but you got to remember, so to you, it's like, Oh, this, this place was so just routine. Right. And, and you were over it and you were ready to leave. But from, for me, from a kid who grew up most of his life in Hood River, mm-hmm. I'm like Boston in the eighties. Yeah. What was that like? Like, are you going to like Depeche Mode and like, yeah, like concerts like, th- like what, what kind of genre of music are you going to see? Well, yeah, it, uh, all that. Yeah. Like, but, uh, well, I don't I know. know I, can't what remember. That is. I mean, I remember the names of certain, uh, you know, I lived in Somerville and Cambridge and Central Square. And it was, um, yeah, you went to these clubs that had, um, I guess we called them clubs because they're bigger than just a bar. <clears throat> and yeah, there was always like what band is playing where and um it might not be a super huge name yet cuz they wouldn't it'd be too small of a venue sure. but like um and are people dancing? Is there a big dance floor? Yep. And yeah, or is some this some roller skating disco? <laughs> no or roller like, skating disco. Okay, we're not uh, discoing. No, no, we're not discoing. <laughs> um no, it, you'd be rocking out. <laughs> yeah, so mostly real instruments, like yeah, synthetic yeah. music was like not, not really. No, and we weren't into that that much. Yeah, right. But, yeah, but were people ever? Were people records? Um, Guess what? Did we uh, like? Were people DJing very much and playing no. records? Or it was no. always live all live. the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you miss that? Yeah, kind of, yeah. I mean, I feel like every now and then I go through a wave where I'm like, I'm happy when music's in my life. Like, even if I just turn it on in my house, you know, it just instantly everything's better. So, trying to get out to more live music. Yeah, it's fun. Absolutely. And it's good, just people vibe. Yeah. But it was way more fun coming west. <laughs> And being in the better people. You're trying vibe. to go west. I'm trying to go east. <laughs> and no. it just depends, right? I mean, there's good stuff everywhere. I'm just, I'm mostly fascinated just by the kind of um, the social, I guess, culture, but really mm-hmm. more specifically, like the 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 collective headspace of. Mm-hmm the country or the town back then because these days it's Mm. i don't know it's it's pessimistic and then it's just super optimistic it it feels kind of polarized Mm. and extreme these days Mm -hmm. whereas back then i'm imagining something very different and that's that's like romantic to me that kind of more realistic like people talking to each other in person yeah. and going to see live music and and they're optimistic but because things are actually happening the internet's coming ab- about and like yeah 
right? No, like I get that your seems point. really That's exciting. Really kind of a cool way to, yeah, to look at that. It did, it, I mean, for me, it did feel, it was a, a very positive time. Yeah, it, um, not a lot of worry, not a lot of negative. And, you know, that must be partly just the age that you, at that time, um, too. Not just what else was going on, but just where, where you are in your, in your head. Um, I think that's maybe the way it should be. <laughs> but I'm pretty much that age. <laughs> and I think I'm a little bit unique. <laughs> yes, you are. But I think, I think there's a lot of other people, too, who it's kind of hard to avoid um, the just the polarizing narratives these days. Mm. It's mm -hmm. every, like you just can't hide from it because that's what sells views and views are what drive the day. And oh man. Um, yeah, it, we, yeah, I don't need, I don't even know what to say about that. Cause <laughs> it just wasn't part you say of our, you, <laughs> too bad you missed it. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't part of our world. And I guess I'm kind of glad, but, um, Cause like now here but you that's are. It's not fair. You know, that's not fair. It's just a different time. And yeah. Yeah. Well, but I feel like it's important to remember that that was a real mm -hmm. time and that was a real moment. That's not necessary. That can't, um, it's not impossible to reproduce the certain aspects of that society. Right. And, True. and not just, feel like we're the future is is predetermined and we can't change it at all right right yeah no i get that so I, i'm i'm imagining like <laughs> i don't know why but i think that was probably sooner yeah i'm imagining like the pink poodles like girls in like dresses with like the long dresses <laughs> with like pink poodles on them and like but i think that's like 60s oh like, yeah that's pre-me for sure <laughs> yeah but just like stuff like that where yeah. it's, it just seems so i don't know people are proud they're not they're yeah I don't know. I, w I want more of that today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but are you, are you pretty, like, now that you've moved, like, you moved out west. Yeah. You did it. Yeah, did it. And you worked for yourself. Now you're retired. Is it, like, everything you dreamed of? <laughs> what, all of it? <laughs> yeah, like, the whole moving out west and, like, like the westward journey and the, the westward like, journey was, did you do what you wanted to do i you know you don't really know exactly what you want that's the thing you just that's you're but you're you're going because you want something different or you're looking or you're you want a fun road trip or whatever i figured i'd go home afterwards and then as soon as i hit the road for a couple months i was like well why would i go home i might as if i'm just gonna go home I wanted to go home and just get a basic summer job because I never did that. I always worked at a bank or I did what I was supposed to do. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go work down at the beach or something, you know? Right. And, um, and then, you know, as soon as you hit the road and you're loving it and camping and driving all over the place. And I was like, well, I'll, if I'm just going to get a summer job, I'll get a summer job somewhere out here. I'll go, I'll go work in the Grand Canyon. I'll do whatever. And, um, and it ultimately ended up being Hood River. 
and then I didn't want to leave. So I always thought I would be a ski bum or I always wanted to be a ski bum. And then I never did that because I got to Hood River and not that the winter is great here, but I had been traveling and I didn't really want to keep going on the road again. I wanted to settle for a little while. And, um, and what was, what but that was... summer was like the best summer I ever had. It was fantastic. It was so fun. And I think it's partly because you have, you've shaken off what you were doing and you're in something totally brand new. Your eyes are wide open and it's just a blast. And Hood River, well, that part, the part of Hood River where I was hanging out was people doing the same thing. And so it was a blast. Most, you know, people were on their college summer or they were just out of college and, um, you know, had a fun job and were playing on the water and, what was Hood River I like? I got back to go then? back and play again, like, you know. <laughs> you were twenty-seven-ish, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you felt like you were twenty-two again, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. <laughs> well, well, or just, just more doing what seemed appropriate for our age. Like, I like no, I don't want to go work on Wall Street. You know, just not my thing. Like, people are like, where are you at, at school? They'd be like, where are you going to go, Boston or New York? And like, uh, really? That's the finite question, those, that's it. Like, you <laughs> I'll know? take option D, yeah, none yeah, of the above. Yeah, none <laughs> of the above. But I did it for a teeny bit. And what did you think of Hood River when you first moved here? Or, what, um, or how would you describe it to someone that hasn't seen it before? Well, the, when I first drove through, all I did was get off at exit 62 off the highway and then got back on an exit 64 because I was <laughs> on my way somewhere else. And um, I just wove through town. And when you got off at exit 62, there was nothing except the red carpet and Les Schwab all the way in pretty much. I don't remember anything else really. And I just zigzagged through town and um, uh, someone had told me along the way, Oh, you should drive through hood river if you're headed that East because you know, there's windsurfing there. And I'm like, really? On the river? That's weird. Okay, whatever. Um, and they're, you know, they were like, but there's, there's some action going on there. So there's young people there who want to be on the water. And um, so I just zigzagged through and I remember seeing, um, well, you're not going to know any of these places, but a couple places where you're like, oh, that's kind of funky and different. But most of Hood River was pretty, like what? Like, like downtown what? was quiet. A lot of boarded up things, not a lot of, you know, what, there weren't rest, all kinds of restaurants and any of that, you know, and I mean, the real, the real windsurf crowd got here in the eighties, like five to 10 years before I did. And I'm sure it was even more quiet, but it was very low key. And, um, but that summer, you know, you just kind of found some kind of job somewhere (laughs) Not many. And in the, if you stayed in the winter, you maybe had a job in town, but you probably worked up at Meadows. Mm. And that was about it. Yeah. But it was really fun because everyone was just playing. Who is every, like the like locals our, our, or people you know, would Our come. age group, I guess. I would, you know, n- yeah, I didn't. There may have been some locals in that group, but I don't know. But. And now, yeah. instead of going out to live music in Boston playing, <laughs> you're doing I'm... outdoor activities playing with all these people? Mm-hmm. 
And we do all, and of course, you still went out to music. I either went to River City or you went to Full Sail Brew Pub. I worked at the Brew Pub, and we had music every, whatever, Wednesday through Sunday nights. Or <laughs> You said Wednesday through Sunday Something every day? Something like that. Something like that. They had music three, night, three or four nights a week, and River City had bands, and that was pretty much all there was to do. <laughs> That's a lot. Bef I mean, before yeah, COVID, music. we had, a, I'd say, more music than now, but... There was only those That's, two places, though. Right. Yeah. River City and Full Sail. Mm-hmm. And was Full Sail in the same location mm -hmm. that it is today? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've moved around a little bit within that complex, building complex, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you like working there? I did. A lot. I worked there a long time. A lot of great people. I'm still trying to imagine, I'm still trying to get a little bit more of Hood River mm -hmm. from your eyes mm -hmm. back then. Was it special? Mm -hmm. Why? What was special about it? Um, I mean, I, it, of course it was beautiful, but it was so beautiful to my eyes because it was new and I'd never been to anywhere in the Northwest. So I was blown away and I loved it. And then I met all these people that were here to play and have fun that because it was their summer, if they were still in school or not. Um, and I, I just felt so free and like that I'd found my place. It just, I, I don't even know how to describe that. Um, did you make a lot of friends? Did mm -hmm. you make a lot of good friends? Mm -hmm. That'll do it. That'll, that'll do it. <laughs> and, you, and you keep doing that. You know, I mean, we, I moved a lot, like I said. And um, so I was used to being a good pen pal or moving somewhere and making friends. And we did that a lot. And, you know, I would have, if a friend of mine from college or high school came out to visit they always would say like you don't think you're going to meet or it's harder to meet it can be harder to meet people that become that special and part of your roots later in your life because you you know college you're living together and High school is so bonding, right? <clears throat> and then you start working. And of course, you're going to meet great people along the way. And some of those will become your lifelong friends. But it's, it, it's a little harder, maybe. And um, I feel like the depth and the specialness of my friends here are just the same as my childhood friends. So it just keeps just keep getting better and better. It's an awesome community. What is a pen pal? A pen, oh my god! I've heard I've heard the old? word, and Holy I think crap. I've heard the word, and I think I have serious? an idea. But oh, you used it in a different way than pen I was. Pal. So I'm just. What is a pen, pen pal? Pen pal is you write letters back and forth. Your friends, your pen pals, like with right. your, being a good a, pen an pal. Actual means... writing with a pen. <laughs> I always paper. thought it was like, because in school we had pen pals, but it was like a designated person yeah. that we would, weren't necessarily friends with that we would write a letter to. Or it was oh, like, funny. like from a different, like we had sister schools and like whatever oh, country. so similar. Yeah. But You're we like, weren't, it wasn't like, I wouldn't 
say, oh, my friend's not being a good pen pal. <laughs> Just like today, if he didn't call me back, I'd be like, oh, he's not being a good... Right. Like... like phone pal or phone whatever <laughs> yeah i was just i was just curious because yeah well yeah. when we moved a lot and so i wrote we wrote letters back and forth to our friends for years years and years because you that was your only means of communication to stay in touch with your friend and i mean you it was easy to lose people not find them for not keep in touch for years or you know because people would move around and then you don't know where they are and you don't have their phone number there's no other there's no she wrote a lot of letters <laughs> it's more of a little kid thing maybe younger do you still write letters for sure yeah yeah i like paper i get tired of the screens I would agree. I do too. Mm -hmm. So what do you think made it so easy to make such good friends here? Um, well, a, a few things. I think the area attracts special people. I really think that. I think people are drawn to the beauty or the activity of a space and therefore we have common things that we love. Um, I think also for me, I was so excited <laughs> I, to have made this change that I just felt on fire. I just was so excited. And so you're, 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 you're just sharing good energy among people. It's just, was, Good people meeting good people, I think. Yeah. It's interesting because that was my experience when I moved here in 2011 or 10 or whatever it was. But I met a lot of people my age recently mm -hmm. who've moved here and they've been here for a year, two years, and they find it really hard to I've meet people. I've heard that. Have, you've heard the same thing. I have heard that. Do you have any theories? <laughs> I, not really. I mean, I, I can only imagine that there's the area, the town is bigger. So there's more people in more places. So therefore, maybe it's a little harder to break in and find your peeps. Like when I got here, there was nowhere to go and nothing to do really much of any of anything, you know, so it was very easy to gather and meet people because it wasn't like there were many places for people to go. You either knew no one or everyone kind of a thing. <laughs> well, like if there's if there's 20 brew pubs or one. Right makes it pretty easy yeah you go yeah 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 and um yeah, yeah. that's an interesting just uh, just the sheer just the just the size of the of the town and the number of options and the number of people that are here now it just would yeah i mean it's just a little it's a little more grown up town now so I think that's I think that's natural. It's just it's just like or it could be me in Boston. It's I had a blast because I had some core friends from college, and then the town was full of young people. But you, you know, if you don't meet at work or from a friend of a friend, 
where do you really find new people? Yeah, I don't, I don't know then for, for people arriving now what else it might be because of that, if it's just a little tougher to find your way. Yeah, and I, I always try and find other explanations besides phones and and because that seems to be the excuse mm. for everything. <laughs> so it's like, a try, that's the last resort. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure there's some I, yeah, element. Yeah, you're of, right. I didn't, I didn't thought about technology, which, you know, is supposed to connect people, but it also doesn't. Right. Makes it easier to be a good pen pal. <laughs> Although people still aren't necessarily. Yeah, no. Yeah. I don't know. But fascinating. So... I think there's still a bit of the pistol story mm. that we left unturned. What's that? Um, well, I feel like we talked a lot about the early getting started, mm -hmm. kind of growing, but then we didn't we didn't get too deep into like changes as you started getting bigger and you had to hire people and mm -hmm. like what are, like when did you start when did you did you ever have to hire anyone yourself? Um. It was usually not done one-on-one. -on -one. It was sort of because we were small enough that um, we would sort of together do that, find a person. Um, the, the, the most... Sounds intimidating. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I, I mean, I would say in general, I didn't hire and hire people a lot. No. Um, It's a pretty casual system. We usually knew somebody and talked to them about what they were doing. <clears throat> and um, and then our people were there for a long time that we had. Right. Um, which was great. And almost always was somebody who knew somebody and we talked to somebody. And so there was always a more personal connection there of, Oh, we, you should talk to so-and-so and, oh yeah, I know her from blah, blah, blah. And, um, so that, I mean, I think that helps the process because there's history and, um, familiarity. Right. Um, we had our warehouse here for a long time. So all product was coming in and then being repacked and shipped back out again with right. the orders. And so at that time we had, um, a much bigger staff that was in the warehouse and um, some of it seasonal. And um, we went back down smaller size when we got a distribution center and that had to go away. Right. Um, so we've always been a pretty small, small crew and most of our people there for a long time. And were you guys mostly selling to Distributors or, or wholesalers? We're or wholesalers were to... selling to retailers. So the retail buyers in the trade show system, they would come to at the trade show and they would be buying for their next year's season. So there'd be a buyer from, um, could be Sundance Catalog, could be REI, could be a Doug Sports, could be um, a rental shop, a ski shop. Um, they all go and they don't really place their orders at the show anymore, but that's where they come see your line mm -hmm. right. or appointments. Mm -hmm. And then 
almost no direct to consumer sales. Um, well, then with once once we had a website, mm. and um, and then there was direct to consumer that way. And did mm -hmm. that get very big or? Yeah, it yeah. Well, it's the biggest it's been is right now through COVID. It it was was our maximum so far. Yeah. Interesting. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the margins there are totally different, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. So you know that was that's just part of growth. Our original, we had a website originally that you couldn't buy on, um, and then you know over time it's just part of progression of the website growing up and then being more capable, and then it's full blown. Yeah. And from a design product side, that probably doesn't change things too much because mm -mm. it's still the same end user. But from a sales side, th that changes mm -hmm. your sales approach. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of, you know, it's like multi-branched. So you you have your traditional avenue. You have the website. Um, and then with websites comes, well, then there's Amazon. It's not just your site. It's other sites that also sell your stuff. Um, and some retailers also have sites. So that's just part of that progression of the technology and everything being available almost everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And once you guys got this distributor, was that, was that kind of like another growth cycle that what, what, why did you guys decide to go with a distributor? Yeah, you're sort of at a, you kind of get to a growth point where you have to decide which way you're going to go. Um, you're getting to a certain size, certain volume in your sales. Um, once you want your inventory system to be speaking to your, your accounting system and you're getting to this volume size of like, are we going to sort of really upgrade our warehouse situation and how the orders and everything funnels through? Or are we going to let someone else do that who already does that? And I mean, that's a simple version of it. And um, so that's the way, that's the way we went. And it definitely eased some of the um, just natural issues that come up with all the product being in your own warehouse. And so it, we had, well, we had less employees after that. Um, there were a lot of um, inventory and quality control issues that now all get handled through a distribution center. So it definitely had its big pluses for us. Um, the in that particular situation, the hope was also that um, we would expand into some of the other markets that <laughs> that the the owners of that were also in. That was what would have been some of the plus. Didn't really quite pan out that way, um, but it was still. I feel like it was still a good thing that we um, had our distribution elsewhere. It was, it gets tricky. Um, 
And you said the owners of the market were also... The owners of the distribution. Oh, I, I see what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Because they distributed other products and owned other products, that sort of thing. Right. So, um, That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And is that... Or what's changed since... Because Pistol sold a few years ago, right? Did not. No, we just sold you, last... Not even a year ago. So it sold within the last year. Mm-hmm. Talk us through that a little bit. <laughs> well, um, the, when we went with the distribution center, we didn't sell. We still owned. Our, right. 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 So then just recently, um, we sold to a uh, knitting mill, a USA knitting mill. And I mean, the hope always, and if you were to sell, the hope was always that you would... Um, it would open up opportunity, obviously, for everyone there to carry on, hopefully, if they wanted. Meaning um, the employees. Yeah, there. yeah. And to have more resources, human capital available to them because you have this ownership. Right. And that would boost you into the next, you know, help you get to the next level. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I hope that's what happens. And... Um, I'm kind of, I'm excited that it's not an investment group and that it's a, a knitting mill, a hundred plus year old knitting mill that's in the USA. I like that it's product based personally, because <laughs> I'm the product person. Um, what do you mean by it's product based? Well, versus it being um, an investment group that buys you, right. their goal would be different, but I like that a knitting mill bought us. Um, right. So they are product oriented. And, um, and it will open up doors. It will open up manufacturing item possibilities. Like they do a lot of socks. So we we'll might finally be able to do socks because we wanted to do that for a long time. Mm. That sort of thing. Um, yeah. So it's exciting and, um, it went smoothly. We like the people, you know, all those things that seem like that would be a given, but they're not always in when you're looking at a sale. And, um, yeah, so it's been a transition year for everybody that's there. So far, so good. And, um, and was this, uh, was this knitting mill a supplier previously? No, they, they actually weren't. They actually weren't. Interesting. Mm -hmm. They just grabbed you out of nowhere. <laughs> well, we were working on it. We were, you know, you're always keeping your, keeping your eyes open and looking for potential situations like that. So we had been, we'd been working on it. We, we felt like it was time to, for a while to get the right partner to help us get to the next step. Right. Yeah. yeah. And how did you guys hear about them or, or um, figure you, that they might be the one you work we worked with um a, like a broker so to speak mm. who which is what they do they are in contact either they have regular uh partners or they're in contact with investors and they might we went with one that was specifically, they worked in the outdoor industry a lot. They worked with businesses of our size. So they, it's a, a, a 
better fit from the beginning than just a big random search. Right. Um, that's how it worked. Yeah. Interesting. So they brought them to us and we, we met with many people over the years and it was, um, you know, sometimes you can just tell it's a right fit or it's not a right fit or it's a situation that you might go with, but you have to really do a lot of work to see if it's going to fly. Yeah. Was there anything that surprised you about what they wanted to see in order to be happy and say, yes, we want to buy the company? Um, no, not really. And I, at that point, was leaving. I was starting to leave. So... In terms of retiring? I was, yeah. You're yeah. just like offloading your work, basically? I was, I had you know, talked to my partners and had decided that I was going to leave my position. And so, um, so it feels like some of that, some of the nitty gritty of that process, it wasn't going to, I, it wasn't, I wasn't in on all of it. Like it didn't really affect me as much because I was gone. I was gone right. when it all went down or it was about the same time. Yeah. So. Um, but what I recall of up until that point, there was nothing out of the ordinary that they, you know, there's a lot of due diligence that goes on that, um, is a lot of work for the, some of my partners and working closely with the new people. Um, there's a lot of, you know, finance back and forth stuff, all that. And then, um, you know, I met some of the people and talked about the product stuff. Um, and that's, that usually comes later when you're integrating together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need like patents or anything like that on your designs. Mm -mm. Did you, mm -mm. did you guys ever get any patents? Nope. Well, we try, we looked into it once. <clears throat> no, but we never needed to. It's really hard with a knit soft good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that technical it's a new color <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah. so in hindsight is there anything that you would have done differently with the company uh-oh your eyes got big <laughs> of course yes tons of things but it's not one person's call right but right? but i mean there are a lot of things that i wanted <laughs> yeah yeah a lot. <laughs> but things that you think would have bared fruit and in hindsight would have been good decisions. I think so. I I mean, I think there's there's always so much more you want to do and it's hard to pull it all off. And um, yeah, I, I think you go through the years and I mean, hindsight doesn't help at all, right? But you... Well, you want, you might... wonder where we held ourselves back or where you could have perhaps, you know, you're, you're always looking at like, oh, if, what if maybe if we had done it this way or blah, blah, blah. But you just keep moving forward and you're like, OK, next time something like that comes up, we're going to try it this way instead or whatever. Um, so you, you I said... always wanted. I don't know. I always just wanted to. uh 
I don't know. I so, wanted, just always wanted to do more. So you said <laughs> hindsight doesn't help. It doesn't help you. But just remember, the reason I'm asking is because it helps me and everyone else that can learn from your story. So that's, of course. it's not to bash yeah. anyone yeah. who made a different decision. No. Because I obviously know. it was complicated and yeah. you have to, making a decision is better yeah. than no decision. Correct. But it's just, if someone was starting a hat company today. Yeah. Is like what little nuggets of of gold and I mean, oh uh, we yeah. should have done this yeah think or at least consider this or whatever it is i mean when we talked before and i th i've thought about this like i just want to be so encouraging to people to do their thing and trust their gut and go for it and not worry about the things that you're gonna want to worry about like um there will like to be able to, you, you feel like you got a roadblock? No, it's not a roadblock. Just turn the direction a teeny bit. Like, uh, to, to be able mentally to um, not get too hung up on something and be able to switch gears and to, um, to trust in that and to keep going. And I just feel like it always works out it just works out because wherever you slightly turn your direction to that's just your next step and it'll work out and when that one doesn't quite work out you just keep going and you it's always to me it's always working out it's just a moving target and um i also think you know back to the community thing a bit is um there are like I just am a firm believer of asking for help, asking for advice. I feel like there's a wealth of knowledge in this town and there's everyone always wants to help, whether it be their knowledge or their advice or their resources, um, their connections, their time. And you just should never be afraid <clears throat> to take, to ask for that. It's, it's why things work. And it, I think it's a real detriment not to do that. Um, and especially here, because I just feel like the gorge is full of greatness in that way. So when I think about someone wanting to, like, hell yeah, do it. Start, even though you think you don't know what you're doing, you start, even though your plan isn't complete, just keep doing it. And you'll do it. So it sounds like there was some things that you would have taken farther and given more energy to had you t heeded your own advice. Is that? Uh, no, I feel like I, I feel like that's how I felt and that's what I did. Um, and I wish that I could have done even more sometimes influenced pistol more than I so yeah, what is would... more <laughs> um I I I don't know I feel like could we could I have done some work differently that got us bigger faster 
because it, it's not all about getting to a size or moving fast, but there were things, you know, projects that you believed in that never came to fruition or, um, like you had an idea, yeah, you got that you pushed just back get done. and you didn't push it. You couldn't you didn't get it done. Persevere. You said, "All right, yeah. I give up." Yeah, or you just set it aside again because you had too much to do over here, or, um, you know, I think we have and had fantastic, talented employees, and I wish I could have done so much more for them. <clears throat> um, and let things fly a bit more but you're you know you still let things work. fly kind of just <laughs> shoot from the hip and just no this just uh if we were like a little bigger with a, maybe a little more resources and um you know just just made a little more impact in the industry which i hope we still will you know I just really believe in what it is. And I think mm. we did a great job and I want to see it through. I want it to, I want to see all that it can be. Do you have a vision for what you want it to be? Um, or how do you, how do you, what do you want like it you, to be? You know, like when I think about seeing it through to what, like and seeing it thrive, um, is it a company? I, is it a product? Is it a community? Or what brand. do you what do you it's see? Brand, it's a brand, it, it, which is sort of community. It's I want the I would like the brand to be, um, still is, still what what it means and what it looks like. I just would like more people to know about it. I'd like it to be, um, yeah. I suppose that's bigger in the sense of the business. Um, that's a symptom of more people knowing about it, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it seems like, do you think it, it helps I want to people? Have even more success. Absolutely. Yeah. Not less. Yeah. Um, do you think it, the brand helps people or something or like what? Um, I think, I mean, the parts that help people, I mean, there's your product and you're just doing your, you know, you're selling something. Right. But, um, we always, there's always under, there's always other, other parts like we, of things you care about that you support that you, you know, whether it's via donations or your time or affiliations or collabs and things like that. Um, you know, we, we've for, from the beginning, it could, you know, there's a lot of people get cancer and lose their hair. We all know that, but you never really think about it. And then you're sitting there in a hat business and you hear from people and people walk in the door and say, I don't look like me anymore. I am cold. I want to feel good. And I don't have my hair. And they need a hat. And we, we always gave hats away to anyone. And we have supported, you know, cancer wards at hospitals and some, um, the, um, breast cancer prevention fund, BC breast cancer prevention. Yeah. Um, we've supported them since 2003 of, you know, all we could really do because we were small was give product, but that was great. And it, it was meaningful. It meant a lot to me. And, um, 
you know, there's lots of things like that. There's uh, a homeless kids organization in Alaska, and we sh would ship them stuff all the time via a friend of a friend. And, you know, there's lots of great things you can do that make it make work more meaningful sometimes. And um, we don't really care about being known for that. It just was nice to that we could do it. And um, and now we promote it a little bit. But um, I think that's, I mean, I think that's critical. I think it's really important for your own well-being and to give back, to have your company give back. And we did that a lot. So that's great. Um, but that's not really what we were saying of like wanting to have it be more known or see through. I just feel like we did a really great job and we have a really great brand and I would like it to keep going and be bigger out there in the world. Right. Yeah. The future is good with more pistol. <laughs> sure. Why not? There's room for everybody. There's plenty of hats out there, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. I think I think that's a good a good place to land the plane. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the Mean Mind with me. Yeah, it's I been love it. Quite a pleasure. Thanks, Sean.